0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. That's quite good, I like that. Yeah, we didn't even practice. We changed it up on the fly. On the fly, yeah, I just thought of it a moment ago. Yes, welcome, my name is Tomas O'Leary and that is the lovely voice of my good friend and uh, colleague Brendan Walsh. We're here, as always, every month to talk about the stories in the world of the software mega vendors, what's going on, what industry news, who's buying who, any gossip. I'm um, not sure how much we have on the gossip front this week. Well, about a little, a little bit, bit, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. hopefully. Um, yeah, we love to talk about the mega vendors. And of course, there's always one we love to talk about more than everybody else. It is IBM. And we have a little story today. We've got a great guest because today the topic is about the mainframe and is the mainframe dead. I think they'll be talking about that since the mainframe was developed, certainly. Mm. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about it in a while. 1991, some guy called Stuart Elsop claimed that the last mainframe would be unplugged inside five years. Mm. I actually wonder, was he still alive? We'll soon find out. <laughs> because we're being joined by an absolute expert and legend in the IBM mainframe world. and. System Z, Z, Z Systems, as I've been calling it, or I think it's just called Z now, or Z, possibly. Um, Paul Arnrich, who is a good friend of mine and is joining us shortly from the UK. Um, he has been in this business for more years than I care to remember. Mm-hmm.
1: He might actually outlive the mainframe himself. He's been around for so long.
0: Yes, we hope he does. <laughs> we hope he does, for sure. Um, but before we join Paul and talk about the mainframe is dead, how are you?
1: That's a good one. I don't know. I'm gonna get emotional. I've I'm I'm tired, very busy, overworked. <laughs> I've learned something though this week, which is never let two key employees go on holidays at the same time. You we, know?
0: We just dis- you should have discussed this with Todd. And our last podcast,
1: Todd, his leadership stuff—he's—he's
0: really good at that. Yeah. Well, I thought I
1: could handle it, and I've realised—you know—the world has moved on. (laughs) I'm really glad we put you in
0: a leadership role.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you see, I'm good at delegating now and not doing, right? Uh, So now I'm having to do all the do (laughs) this week and uh, yeah it's catching up with me but
0: oh, do I want to tell Michael to stop the recording here now we'll
1: we'll have a kind of heart to heart the violins are right, but hey, look it's all good it's only a week and uh, next week we'll hopefully but back to normal well the good news is actually we're
0: unlike the last couple yeah. of podcasts we're across the table from each other
1: which was awkward it's kind of tricky yeah, doing these podcasts yeah. it's a bit like those you know remote webinars or remote trade shows it's just not the same it's you had it together. you had one of those well I won't mention any names but <laughs> do, I was do tell us what happened though <laughs> well I mean it's all about preparation right <laughs> so in moderation but I was probably on you know the, the the most car crash webinar yesterday I was actually going to be presenting it, a, it is recorded Q- so, so they won't be going F- out yet fireside Chad no thankfully there's a recording but the recording's <laughs> going to happen again next week we're going to have another go but uh, uh, and we have our sound sound guys and our creative guys to help us get this thing set up and, but nothing was working the sound wasn't working we got the sound back on we refreshed you know deleted our cached and turned off our browsers rebooted our laptops everybody was green we were set to go the next thing the wrong slides were appearing got the right slides all systems go ready to go and as soon as we started I was asked a question and the next chap was asked a question and as soon as he started talking nothing was coming out so he was green ready to go nothing was happening and then eventually he fixed his mic, put on about three different headsets. You could see him in the window. So everybody who would be watching the recorded webinar would be able to see. But then as soon as he came on, it was. <laughs> Which is not a great sound. No. When no, it's, no. you know, for a webinar. And uh, yeah, so that was an hour of my day yesterday that I won't get back. Oh, God. But I felt sorry for the hosts. Mm. We've all been there and uh but it kind of summed up my week <laughs> well we we had we shouldn't be admitting this but we had exactly the same issue about about six weeks
0: ago exact same issue everything worked it's like as if the technology knows yeah. you're about yeah. to do something really important and i'm just gonna plug it out and stop it working just as you go live so we had a webinar we were on 25 30 minutes beforehand we had tested it all previously we had to go live and just as we go live the other person doing the webinar, live webinar, mm. is not at the end of it. Oh dear. His mic stops working. Yeah. <laughs> and it ended up, I had to do his slides. <laughs> so
1: I- And, I, and I, he was the techie. He
0: was yeah. the guy who knew what he was yeah. talking about. So it was, uh, yeah, it's yeah. tricky.
1: So, so it just goes to show with all the technology, you know, and all the advancement and all of this going online, you know. And who is the winner then? Who is the winner well right now there's the
0: guys who make this
1: stuff and they still make a lot of money well, they? I, look I mean it, it, you know so right now and we weren't using the technology of the so-called winner we were one, using one I hadn't actually used before I won't again I won't mention the name because it wouldn't be fair but uh, but zoom right now is the winner Um and uh, worth more than IBM, worth more than IBM. There's Sorry, some, I took that out of your mouth. Yeah, no, it's, it's okay. No, we're, it's it's this is this is a you know a, a duet. I mean, mouth watering are some of the figures really around this. So, Zoom, worth more than IBM, uh, their market cap is now 105 billion so just take it out of that uh, their stock price has grown by 500 percent year to date um and it is because of remote working uh, r- uh remote networking uh, it's being used by lots of businesses obviously and, and individuals globally to connect uh i mean they're worth more than ibm and and close in valuation to companies like boeing Who were only worth a hundred billion, and 3M, who were worth about ninety-five billion. So it's it's hard to believe the demand has gone crazy. Their stock price has rallied forty percent in a week. Um, They they posted Q two results, Q two earnings, which were six hundred and sixty-four million, which is a three hundred and fifty-five percent rise year on year. They now have three hundred and seventy thousand customers, which is up. 458% 458% year on year it's just crazy wow. but from a valuation perspective it's 170 times uh, earnings per share or 50 times revenue guidance so How, it's crazy I mean, I mean you know? this is ludicrous these tools
0: like you compare that to an airplane that Boeing makes the complexity I mean, not belittling yeah. it, but of course, no. it's
1: great technology and we all use it. How and- long does it take to design a new aircraft and get it going and the amount of money that's poured into that from an investor's perspective? And yet, something where you go and chat with somebody else <laughs> online, which which some of the time doesn't work, as we know from yesterday's yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's called an SS. You can <laughs> guess what I But I mean, if you look at the numbers, right, so in, in FY 2020, <laughs> the revenues were 623 million compared to... Seventy-seven billion for IBM, yet they're worth more, are compared to seventy-six billion for for said airline or three M. So it's crazy, yeah. The so market- there's a bubble here. So this yeah, you know, we talked m- about this a few times. This has to be. Yeah, they're can't. currently the leader and they're exploiting the current situation. But what's going to happen is, you know. What will happen is the likes of Facebook, the likes of Google, the guys with the big war—you know—money war, you know, war chests will catch up, and I, I see them being overtaken. Um, there's no way that Alphabet and Facebook and Microsoft are going to let these guys, you mm. know, have their—you know—eat all their their lunch, you know. And is it going up? You know, the, remember SoftBank were were found as the whale, apparently
0: putting all this money on the bet on the rising on, on a rising market, and mm. caused the actual market to rise in the first place. Mm. I mean, it's there it, it must be caught up in that. I mean, there's. There has to be, a, there's a bubble there.
1: Well, I've got, about I mean, the story of the week is coming up and I'll share some more, you know, yeah, staggering ahead. numbers yeah. with you. Uh, yep, it's crazy that it is. But look at Oracle. So, you know, most week, most quarters we get on here and we talk about Oracle and we compare them year on year and they don't seem to be doing as well. But actually, they're even up. Their Q1 results were out and they're up. Uh, the revenue was $9.37 billion which was ahead of 9.2 billion a year ago which is better than most other quarters they've been they haven't been faring as well I mean, they've they've cited a number of things. You know, some big wins with McDonald's m- moving over their uh, financial systems over to uh, Oracle Cloud, and Alberton's, a big uh, North American retailer, also moving to their cloud technology. And they also cite Zoom as being one of their big revenue generators. That the, their Zoom revenue we just mentioned. Oh yeah, we them. we
0: talked about that a few episodes ago. Yeah.
1: Well, obviously, Zoom runs. Out, they won the Zoom deal. Zoom now runs on the on the Oracle on the Oracle Cloud, and the Zoom revenue they mentioned is up is up uh, two hundred percent uh, as where it was uh, only a couple of quarters ago so they actually mentioned zoom specifically as being a big revenue contributor and they bought a new client they did buy a new client well or did, or did they? they well there's a lot of confusion around that it depends who you read so i mean you know some of the players we've got oracle yeah, Larry Ellison, Paula Trumps. Yeah, uh, oh yeah. Uh, we're talking about TikTok here now. Yeah, we're talking about TikTok. So I, who, I, I want to ask you
0: what TikTok. Well, who is TikTok? But, yeah. So
1: <laughs> you don't you don't know? Your daughter uses TikTok. I've
0: I've never. My, I'm sorry. I've seen TikTok yeah, yeah. on Twitter. You've yeah. probably
1: heard it through your house because yeah. I wake oh, up. Yeah. I wake up every morning, and the first sound I hear is not of the birds tweeting; it's of TikTok, because <laughs> my daughter has it on constant uh, usage. So. It's it's a Chinese platform for mobile video sharing, essentially. Yeah. Mostly used by, by younger folks. It's owned by a company called ByteDance out of Beijing. Founded in 2012, so it's it's not that old. Uh, 800 million users, about 2 billion yeah. downloads of the app. But it's also used by 100 million US, I guess, kids, people, right? And all that data is currently being served up on Chinese-based servers. Yeah. yeah. So... The White House uh, Committee on Foreign Investment has stepped in here, as has Trump saying there's a security risk, there's a there's a national security issue if the data that's been passed back to the Chinese service can be used by the Chinese to, mm. uh, for whatever means. Uh, it depends on what side of the political spectrum you sit. Trump obviously is a pro-Oracle pro and favours Oracle to win the deal. Microsoft scuppered the, their chances of winning the deal because they said it was a security risk they couldn't fix during the negotiations that they're out. There was an executive order from Trump saying that it had to be sold and control of the technology had to be in US hands Uh, by the end of September he put some some kind of arbitrary date on it otherwise it would be banned due to national security issues Uh, the Chinese themselves have come out and said that they're imposing a restriction on the sale of core technology to foreign companies and they think that uh, I heard
0: they stopped the (laughs) the sale of
1: the algorithm
0: that was what Microsoft wanted
1: this is what I heard
0: there was a a very interesting podcast last week by the journal they by the Wall Street Journal and they were talking Mm. about this in Microsoft were only interested in it with the algorithm. And then the mm. Chinese government at the end of August said, yeah, we will obviously we want to control who's buying it. Mm. And we will allow a US buyer, mm. but you will not get the algorithm. And I actually made the deal actually not very not, uh, interesting for Microsoft. are well, not because, buying the IP. Yeah. But, but the word on the street was when Oracle were interested. I mean, when I, mean, I heard about it, we just laughed about this about a month mm. ago, thinking, mm. what was this all about? Mm. I thought it was a joke quite honestly. Like, uh, you know, what the well, hell were Oracle going to buy TikTok? Yeah, Actually, they're buying a
1: customer. They're buying a customer, yeah. But yeah.
0: are they? This is the thing. I mean, it's still not sure, clear, clear what the final price mm-hmm. is. Um, it's still not clear the structure. There's... Obviously, to talk about Walmart also being involved. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: Walmart are going to be the main merchandiser. They'll have about 7%. Okay. Uh, Oracle okay. will have about...
0: So are the details now clear or are they yeah. un- still unclear? Because cause when Trump was talking about this, he said that he wanted two things. He said he wants to be a... Se- it was to sell... It uh, doesn't sound like it's a sale because they're talking about partnership.
1: Partnerships, Yeah. Right. Part- and he wants yeah. to
0: get a, he wanted to get a slice for the U.S. Treasury, which is fair. Fair enough, he wanted mm-hmm. that, whether it was realistic or not. Mm-hmm. But doesn't seem to be any slice. I mean, other than the headquarters going to the United States, doesn't seem to be any yeah. slice for them. Yeah. You
1: know? yeah. So so TikTok Global, which is going to be the trading entity, is going yeah. to be owned 20 percent by by Oracle and Walmart. Yeah. Then TikTok or ByteDance will own the rest of the eighty percent, but within a year they have to go public. At which time, they expect that uh, mo- most of the ownership of the company will be it will be in American hands. As it stands today, thirty percent of ByteDance is actually yeah. owned by by U.S. investors. Well, at least
0: I know what TikTok is now. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, so the famous story of TikTok is that it was used during the Tulsa rally. So a whole bunch of TikTok users went on. And, and started buying oh, the, the, yeah, the, the free they, tickets the, yeah. to the rally yeah. told their colleagues they were buying them they weren't going started off a frenzy everybody bought the tickets and this yeah. was this happened through TikTok it happened through the social media of TikTok yeah, and when yeah, Trump yeah. turned up to his rally it was empty because everybody who bought the tickets had bought them kind of no. mean now no totally mean and yeah. that's why Trump <laughs> wants it to be sold yeah. well and, he is kind of yeah. sensitive. sensitive speaking of sensitive
0: yeah. there was a there's a big story around somebody who's sensitive there is. <laughs> <laughs> or a company that's very sensitive, because I had to look it up. Yeah, yeah. When you told me you were doing the story about Snowflake, I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. I, didn't, yeah. I mean, I know I'm plugged into the software world, but I hadn't a clue who Snowflake were. But well, I, I,
1: well I do have a big hang-up on snowflakes, and uh, and my sister-in-law is uh, is always chastised me of the fact that I give out about you know twenty-somethings and how sensitive they are, and you know that they they can't do a day's work, etc. Uh, Don't tell me you uh, call your sons and daughters <laughs> snowflakes. I call them snowflakes all the time. But anyway, she she tells me to move on. But this is about Snowflake. Who are Snowflake again? Founded in two thousand and twelve, the same as TikTok. Uh, so so that'd be surprising. And ourselves, yeah. So they're they're a data warehouse provider and they've just had the largest software IPO ever. halfway. Uh, oh, and so what do they do? They do how much data warehousing. Well, I'll tell you in a second, data warehousing faster, easier, and more flexible. So I don't know if there's any kind of distinguishing features there, but let me give you a few facts, right? So they were founded in 2012 with seed capital of a million. Right in 2012, sorry, they were founded in 2012, C Capital of Million, and in 2020, they raised 479 million in a funding round in February, February 2020, raising their valuation to 12.4 billion. So that's in February of this year, okay. Their revenue was doubled in the last six months to 242 million, but they've just had a closing valuation on the New York Stock Exchange uh, under the ticker symbol SNOW. At seventy billion valuation, they sold twenty-eight million shares and raised three point four billion. So, to a seventy billion valuation in in February this year, the valuation was twelve billion. Seventy billion—that's nearly as much as our friends IBM. IBM. So, very shortly, we we'll won't be talking about Zoom. We're going to be talking about <laughs> Snowflake. The, the, snow, the Snowflake. So, an incredible story, and uh, you know. More mouth-watering, you know, evaluations that I just can't get my head around. Yeah, you know?
0: are be any stories on our
1: on our good friends IBM? Yeah, well, so one last story, really. It's uh, something we've talked about in in previous podcasts, and uh, in this particular podcast, we've we talked about alleged discrimination by IBM go over uh, older workers. But now we have the tech giant. We have a letter from the US EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, who wrote to IBM saying they were discriminating against older workers because they made layoffs between about 2013 and 2018. Basically, they were saying that there was evidence that older employees were laid off because their skills were out of date and that they were brought back under contract by IBM at lower rates, lower pay and fewer benefits. So the EEOC said this was company-wide systemic discrimination and that some of it actually was allegedly also not just age-related but also uh, potentially racist discrimination, which IBM pushed back on, as you can imagine.
0: Yeah. It's a shame they're not as discriminating against their old technology As they are against their old people. (laughs) Because actually in the mainframe world, which is the old IBM systems that are still around, and even though Stuart Alsop, as I said earlier, claimed that would be gone by 1996, Mm. still not going around. Lots and lots of stories, even recently in the last few years, people talking about IBM's reliance on it for profitability. There's a guy called Tony... Sa- Sakanagi? Sakanagi? Yeah, that's easy it is. for you to say. Yeah. yeah. For working for Alliance Bernstein, who's actually been commenting, he's been on CNBC and a bunch of different areas, been quoted in yeah. a number of media publications. He's talked about their reliance on the mainframe, talking about the levels of profitability, like mm-hmm. it's Revenue generator is in the single digits, Mm. but actually its it's level of profitability and importance to IBM from a profit perspective, when you count all of the global services contracts Mm. that they have in outsourcing deals, is as much as 40% of their Mm. profits. It's huge. Absolutely huge. Mm. Yet it's still around. You know, and even actually when you look at the mainframe sales that look at the the results IBM brought out during the summer, their Q2 sales Mm. is IBM's IBM's mainframe systems were uh, the revenue were up 69%, 69% growth. That was up following a 59% increase Mm. in Q1, you know, when everything else is weak, the mainframe now it's a single digits but it's still an enormous contributor it's an yeah, enormous yeah, enormous yeah. contributor that's yeah.
1: surprising when everything else as we've just read about is going to the cloud and going off you know the tin is being dismantled and
0: well they're not yeah but they're also not getting I mean even even the story we had earlier in the earlier in a couple of podcasts back in May um, when we did a podcast looking at the welfare systems in the United States so COBOL mm. I mean getting with the people there's no link here I mean I, I'd love this is a perfect time to bring bring Paul Paul Arnrich on, on the call Paul are you, are you with us I am indeed. Hi gents. Paul, hey, Paul, it's it's great to talk to you. We, we we know each other for a long time. We're I'd I'd consider you a good friend. And uh some somebody certainly in this space who knows the mainframe probably better than none. I was I was actually looking at how long you've been doing this, and, and in the notes that was were prepared by the team here, it says Paul has been working with IBM mainframe System Z and its predecessors since the nineteen seventies. Uh, <laughs> now to be fair it was 1979 was that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a bit of a cheat saying the 70s isn't it?
2: The 70s would be a better description
0: That was the year the Pope came to Ireland Pope John Paul II He came to Ireland in 1979 when you started the mainframe world um, Tell us I'm, call, I'm calling it the mainframe <laughs> Sorry Paul?
2: Was that the first unveiling of the Mobile as well?
0: Oh, good question. I, I don't know. He came to a million people in, in the Phoenix Park, a park in the middle of Dublin. Um, and I think in total, the population of Ireland at the time was probably in the south of Ireland was about three and a half million, maybe just but just above that. And I think a total of two million people saw him. Um it was incredible. A different, a different. I mean, talk about the world changing since COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this country, we've seen we've seen a massive change in 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 a, in a short period of time. Um, but we are looking at bring the conversation back to you, your, the, the mainframe, Paul. And I'm calling it the mainframe. Am I actually calling it by the correct name? It's 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 because it's changed its name quite a few times from Z Systems or Z Systems, as they might call it in the United States, um, System Z. I think it's Zed now, isn't it? Or am I correct there?
2: It's been through a few iterations. I mean, the mainframe is what it's probably best known as. It, it, it's it's a very handy phrase because at least it lets Tom Cruise, you know, hack into things of, um, that no one knows about, right? And all those movies. Yeah. So we, we have to have the word mainframe for that reason. But generally speaking, it's been called IBM Z for, I'm going to say, since about 2015. But, you know, IBM do like a good name change. We we had Z series for quite a piece, um, probably about five or seven years until um, rather infamously some toilets caught fire. Um, and your Google searches at the time would have said, product IBM Z series recalled due to fire hazard so the (laughs) the name was quite quickly changed to System Z and then a bit later that that was discovered to be a septic tank product so then it became um, Z systems and, and now it's just plain old IBM Z um and as you say the, the the americans mispronounce it but then they mispronounce a lot of things
0: yeah yeah well i've seen i, I think i've seen the sesame Ca- count dracula so i i i know how they pronounce the the letters but yeah it's still i mean despite all of the predictions that have been out there I mean that many people I mentioned uh, Tony Sakanagi, who works for Alliance Bernstein and, and his Western research firm he's done an analysis on the importance of it to IBM Andrew Bartels from Forrester Research has been commented on many times on you know what's been happening with with the mainframe and uh, and its impact on IBM's numbers yet despite all of the doom and other other people talking the thing down and even going back as far as 1991 with Stuart Alsup. It's still around, it's still there, and it's not going anywhere, is it? Can you give us a picture of the mainframe? What, where, where is it in our lives and how important is it to us?
2: I mean, there's a couple of things here and that, that what, what's probably not always understood about the mainframe is that it, it distinctly is two different component parts. There's the hardware and then the operating system or application enablement software. And, and IBM make um, quite good sized chunks of revenue and profit out of both parts um pr- probably what's masked a little better is the, the 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 profit that comes from software but you know you are tied uh to to running ibm stack uh if you if you head down that enterprise you know mainframe road but if you if you look at the, the landscape today you know, it's quite different from when i first started back in the in the late 70s there were you know, pretty pretty much all the computing available was an IBM mainframe. End of story. There, there weren't choices, and and as we got the delights of, you know, um, Unix systems and and other beasts, the Wintel estate, you know, rolling in in the eighties and and early nineties, a lot of the companies that shouldn't really have been on a mainframe in the first place were able to get out, and and so there was quite a decimation through the the, the latter part of the eighties and and the early nineties where companies that shouldn't really be there in the first place, you know, went to platforms that were appropriate. You know, it is very much a horses for courses. Um, I I guess where we are today, and it's been stable um, in terms of its market base for probably about 20, 25 years, you know, the the odd new customer coming to the platform every year, which is highly celebrated, but but generally it's the same old protagonist um, and they run their business on on Zed. Um, it, to give you an example, every time you book an airline ticket, you every time you hit a cash machine, $23 billion a year, $4 billion a day uh, uh, of, of ATM transactions uh, are based on the mainframe. Mm-hmm. Um, every time you swipe a credit card or, or, or transfer money online, any of those things, at some point in that transaction, you are touching a mainframe. It would be arrogant to say that, um, or, or, or perhaps ist of some kind, to say that the mainframe handles all of the processing for all of those things because we live in a, in a, not in a heterogeneous environment. You know, we have IT that's made up of the right sized equipment, the right type of equipment, right the way through a transaction's life. But the mainframe is typically at the back end of all of those things. Um, I mean, know, people like checking out numbers, us and Brendan, but 50 billion transactions a day on the mainframe, 60% of all enterprise applications need a mainframe to complete, Uh, 90% of all credit card transactions. I mean, but look, numbers are numbers, I could go on with all sorts of numbers, 10 out of 10 top insurers, 92% of the top 100 banks, you know, um, 1.5 million kicks transactions per second, per second, 1.5 million. Now, just to put some context on that, currently, um, there's 70,000 Google searches per second, 70,000. And there's 1.5 million Kix transactions. It's a bit of a scale, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. And it, get, it gets very, very little publicity. I'm curious, though, you did say there that there's a the odd new client. I, I always had the impression that it was the existing customers just struggle to get off the, the platform. So there are new people at from time to time.
2: Oh uh, yeah, it happens. I mean, sometimes it happens for odd reasons. Um, the, the, quite recently in the UK, actually, there was a new Z, brand new Z customer, um, and it was an art gallery.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
2: yeah. And I, I have this idea that, that the, the wonderful, beauty, beautiful, shiny black box that is the the current IBM Z mainframe is somehow an installation in one of their galleries. You know, maybe spinning <laughs> on a spinning on an axis or hung from the ceiling with wires. You know. Um, yeah. I suspect that one was probably more of an ego trip, um, you know, from from the art galleries. Um, you know, it was an art, it's not not an art gallery, an art auction house. But, yeah. but I, I suspect it's uh, an ego trip. But um, yeah, there's uh, other examples of um, a rather rather well publicised uh, a very large financial institution in the UK some years ago. I mean, five or ten years ago, uh, was very public about the fact they they were migrating off the mainframe. And no, that yeah. was the press story, you know, Computer World and all those sorts of journals talking about um, the, 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 the migration off the mainframe. What wasn't said by the CEO was that they were migrating off a Unisys mainframe onto an IBM Z mainframe.
0: <laughs> and that's, can, can I ask you a question there, Paul, on that topic of moving off the mainframe? So it, it has always been my impression and my experience dealing with mainframe IBM blameframe clients is that the story in many of them is that they are trying desperately to get off the mainframe, as you describe it. I suspect that's what's fueled many of the stories around the decline of the mainframe, even going back as far as 1991. Um, but you did mention there that throughout the 80s and 90s, many companies who were on a mainframe were able to get off the mainframe. Yet today, I suspect that's a much more challenging issue and I'm wondering why is that the case what's happened to make that much more difficult than for the original guys to get off it
2: I think the simple thing is that it's the eighty twenty 20 stuff Thomas you know the, the 80% of the customers that could do it easily did it did it really easily and what's left are the, are the hard ones you know so so how do you take you know, say say a large bank, you know, a, a Danske Bank or a Citigroup. You know, how do you take them off the mainframe? Um, the organisations that tend to still be on the mainframe are generally very risk averse. I mean, that that is their business model. It's they have no choice but to be risk averse. And you know we we saw this quite recently in the UK with Santander moving uh, accounts out of Lloyd's you know, when when part of the uh, product set was purchased, and the disaster for for many many months for those account holders uh, not being able to access funds, um, and that was the risk of of taking uh, a working system with, with with real financial value in it. Um, And and moving it to an untried, untested platform. I mean, you you can't, you know, production is the true testing environment. That, I guess, is the challenge for risk-inverse organizations. So if you were to take that, um, the the public side of discussions around um, CEOs and CTOs saying we we need to get off the mainframe, that's the public face, you know, privately. They would never countenance it, but it's a good story from a from a stock exchange point of view, from an investor point of view, to say they're getting off the mainframe, because the mainframe is always seen as having a high, a, a very high capital cost. You know, so it's about it's about turning them from being high in capex down to maybe high in opex using other platforms, but not so high in capex, um, and that's the attraction from an investor point of view. So it, it's a really good public story to talk about. Getting off the mainframe, but privately it's just never even countenanced by the by the bulk of the organizations
0: and when you look at when you look at the um, the stories that I was talking about earlier, the commentators who talk about um, like Andrew Bartels and T- Tony secondgi takanagi they talk about the profitability of of the mainframe and it's been profitable for so long, and I and I and I don't know how accurate these numbers are. Maybe maybe you have a view on that, perhaps you don't. I'm not know you're not an investment person, but when you look at this and you see this stuff is going to be around forever, and the hype around some of the technology and some of the stories that Brendan was talking about earlier, um, this this gets no it gets it gets a poor rap, doesn't it? It's, it's, it generates a lot of cash. Well, so
2: it's kind of interesting. It's, it's one of those if I if I tell you about it, I got to kill you kind of stories. You know, ninety two percent of the world's business transactions touch a mainframe. Eighty percent of the world's business data is backed on a mainframe, and meaning the data is on a mainframe, right? Like that's it. It's not somewhere else. It's on a mainframe. And and worthwhile noting that Oracle doesn't run on a mainframe, right? So you think about our largest database providers, Oracle would be the one that would quite commonly come to mind. It doesn't play in the mainframe space. And yet there's a really interesting statistic. 80% of the world's business data is backed on a mainframe. It tells a bit of a story about the publicity one can garner, um, and actually what's really underneath the numbers. And when we look at all of that, the the Gartner's Gartner's view of spend, IT spend on the mainframe is 7% of IT worldwide budget. So 92% of the transactions, 80% of the data, and 7% of the spend. It's almost an embarrassment to talk about the mainframe.
0: Yeah, and the the story, Brendan, Mm -hmm. you had earlier on about laying people off they must still need the skills, though, even though they're getting rid of many of these. skills. I mean, many of those those those
1: older employees you talked about earlier. Well, yeah, I was going to ask that question. Yeah, go right? ahead. Well, I was just going to ask the same question. Like, where where's the ta- like the talent? Because, like, and yeah, you know, we know the likes of yourself, Paul. But not only is the mainframe old, but the talent is getting older as well. So, is there a challenge there?
2: yeah it's a pretty significant challenge brendan um and, and it's 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 a funny one it's not really ibm's P- people would like to blame ibm for it or put it on ibm's shoulders it's it's one of the areas where that i look at and think well come on customers what have you been doing for the last 25 years you know Um, The average age of of Z engineers is, um, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the the key people you need, not programmers, not business programmers, not business analysts, but the people that keep the show on the road, um, you know, the the software engineers, uh, uh, administrators of the system. The the average age for for those Z engineers in the U.S. is 67. Right, right. Now, that's a really interesting thought isn't it now these are people who have a different mental profile you know they're older um we're all getting less ad, you know brain agile we take a bit longer to react I, I personally don't think i do but i bet there's a lot of people who challenge that um you know we have uh, health issues you know maybe people have got parents they have to look after you know i i think it's quite interesting when you start to talk about 67 year olds being the thing that keeps your show on the road, um you know one of the major u k banks had a a pretty big incident uh, a couple of years ago um not not something that you know was caused by their foul play or anything it it was a um a, a software um, uh, deployment that went bad um and and they had to call the whole crew in so they they spent Saturday and Sunday in um you know, every single resource they could get um they're all there. Monday morning, the building was empty because those people were tired. (laughs) They were knackered. You know, I I remember doing, you know, pulling 72-hour shifts and just keep going, you know, putting the matchsticks in the eyes. But that was when I was wearing a younger man's clothes. Um, It's harder to get those people to be able to consistently deliver. Um, And a lot of retired, you know, a, a huge amount of retired. Uh, in Europe, it's slightly, we're slightly better off in Europe. The average age is about 62. But yeah, that's still pretty scary when, when you I look was, at I, other I, places. I,
1: I was a, a cobalt programmer myself back in the day, Paul. And I don't think I'd be able for it anymore. But I was reading about, the, you know, in New York State, the, the unemployment benefits benefit system was under strain because of covid you know payments and and the system was there was like a 1600% increase in in claims processing and they had to kind of search the market for mainframe programmers especially those that were experts in cobol
2: it it's a challenging one um you know large corporates don't tend to think about the the, the little guy um, and, and this is a very small talent pool. So I think one of the challenges is in the 80s, particularly the early 80s, um, mainframe customers had a conveyor belt of of rolling out new engineers. So they would start people on shifts in a, in a data center and you know, they, they employed, specifically employed people to move through their organization, very heavy training programs and so on. We got to the mid 80s and we, the truth is we didn't need any more. You know, we, we, we go and add another, you know, double our capacity, put another five boxes on the floor, you know, roll out a whole range of other services, and how many more engineers do we need? Zero. Now, you contrast that with, say, a typical server market where, you know, putting another server on the floor means you've got to buy another five people. Mm. Um, and and so it's very efficient at the human level, um, and and therefore... The conveyor belt stopped, and and that is why we have a real age profile problem in in the Z industry, because we stopped producing more. I, I, you know, I I look around. At, well, I think the youngest guy I work with, we we call him the young guy, and he's about forty five. You know, um, th- there aren't very many people under the age of of fifty working in the mainframe engineering space, and no one's doing anything. To change that, essentially what happens is a bit of cherry picking goes on. Someone steals a body from another company. They treat them badly at one company, and another you know, bank will grab those people and then treat them badly, and then they'll move around. I mean, it, it, it is not – I mean, it's, it's number one on most financial institutions, risk register, the age profile of their keep the show on the road, people. Yeah. Um, and it's scary. But, but do you know what? The, the, the reason it's not really being addressed is quite simply to do with longevity of CEOs. So I'm the CEO of a very large organization. I'm looking at my risk register. And number one is mainframe skilled resources at engineering level. And I say, is that really going to cause me a problem? Yeah, it is. It really is a big problem. And when's it going to happen? Maybe in two years' time, I won't be here in two years' time. You know, I'll have moved on to the next job. So it's not on their watch. Uh, And I think that's, uh, um, you know, one of the benefits of capitalism, isn't it? You know, you you get to ignore the future and only concentrate on revenue today. Um, And and I think it is genuinely the the biggest risk, uh, you know, to – to the, the, the platform, but actually, if it's a risk to the platform, you know, I, I'd probably suggest you all keep a few hundred quid under your sofa as well, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And you mentioned there about the CEOs making decisions that are short term decisions, perhaps, without taking into consideration the longer term risks to the business. And, and I would imagine, yeah, because they're incented that way. I mean, IBM has a new CEO, Arvind Krishna, since the beginning of the year, taking over from Ginny Roberty. Um, we used to like Ginny here on this show because we, she gave us lots of stories. But um, Arvin, we're struggling to get stories on Arvin just just yet. But I, I'm, all joking aside, on, on IBM, one of the things we've talked about on this this show, myself and Brendan, has been the whether it's an option for IBM to to break up the company. Um, we, the new CEO, is obviously there will be, and the most should be some major decisions that they'll make i mean obviously the acquisition of red hat last year was a major investment by the company mainframe it just gets a bad rap i think given the you know we just talk about the level of importance of it the level of profitability it doesn't look like it's going away i mean i mean to me if i was brought in as a ceo one of the options i'd certainly be looking at is saying right let's let's break this company break out the mainframe element and let's give it a better image, dress it up, because you know many companies have managed to do that with 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 what was what appeared as staid and old um, kind of businesses and refresh them. Uh, particularly if they're going to be knocking around for another couple of years, there's no reason, and they, they could it could still a bit of life back into the into the market. Um, it's, it's, and it actually, from an investment perspective, it throws off a lot of cash, and they could get a lot of investors behind it, and actually be a real story as opposed to a lot of hot air.
2: Well, it's a tricky one in that, you know, why would you want to break up something that's making you um, most of your profit, you know, and of course, that's a story you don't really want to tell too loudly, you know, when we look if anyone actually understands IBM's accounting rules then you know that I think that they're from out of space you know it's it's I've seen a lot of strange accounting practices IBMs are intentionally obfuscators um, and I think that's even internally let alone externally um, but but you know if you it, it, they, they do crazy things with their numbers you know you, they get a piece of bad business um, and, and they hide it under IBM Z to make Z look bad so it doesn't report so well you know um, like for example any of their bad GTS outsourcing deals If there's got a mainframe anywhere in the estate, then they put the entire revenue stack into the mainframe bill so they can try and somehow artificially reduce what it looks like from a profitability perspective. Um, You know, when you if you cut it up into just the hardware and the software rather than all of the bad bits that go into the way they report, um, you know, the the, the guys on the inside say it's around about 30 percent. Z is about 30 percent of revenue. Um, but even more scary, it's, it's getting closer to 80% of the profit. Mm. Um, so it's one of those things that you, know, you, you asked earlier, why don't we know about it? We don't want to tell you about it, is, is kind of IBM's view. Um, that There's a lot of moaning about the mainframe, but actually there's secretly or, or hidden inside the organization a phenomenal amount of pleasure. And most of the spot making in terms of making club, making target from a, an OTE perspective amongst their very wide sales force, um yeah, yeah. you know it comes from comes from Z and it's very much a pyramid base you know so mm-hmm. so one little Z sale over here, which is actually quite big revenue numbers, gives revenue recognition to two thousand people up a chain so so there's no great appetite within i b m to get rid of z um but but to break it up is something i b m have you know tried time and again and failed miserably. I'm not really quite sure I understand why you'd want to break it up um, unless you're trying to divest yourselves of the non-profitable bits. Um, You know, Sam Palisano spent pretty much all of his 12-year tenure trying to break that's um, kind of crazy, really. He had twelve years in charge, and he tried to break it into twelve pieces, and, and that failed miserably. <laughs> um, you know, IBM execs as well. If you think about it, you know, you've got this this new fella in charge. Um, you know, you're looking for stories about him. You know, quoting that um, the one quote that stuck out to me recently is he he declared that clients prefer OpEx to CapEx. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the context of the statement was, but wow. <laughs> like that that's pretty crazy as a statement right how how can you be so black and white uh, about yeah. such a complicated topic um, yeah in my experience i think both are under pressure terribly and but but, but opex seems to be the one that's more aggressively challenged in most of my accounts so but, yeah you know and you commented on the 69% increase um, 69% increase in z revenue last year uh for one quarter it's 69% up but none of the statistics or numbers tell you what it's up from. And they don't tell you what that number is. It's just the 69% up. And and i got to say, whenever I see numbers like 42 or 69 or 45 expressed
0: as a percentage increase, I think, yeah, that's just made up that number. <laughs> oh, I like it, Paul. I like it. One last question, Paul. It's fascinating stuff. One last question. Um, what's the future then? Um, I you know, to be frank, I can't see it
2: changing. I mean, I think I think what will change is people like me will will eventually lose our appetite and 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 not turn up to work anymore. Uh, I don't know how that's going to be resolved. There there isn't a way of automating or autonomic. I mean, there's a lot of good stories at the CEO level about we will make this an autonomic platform. The, the truth is, you need an engineer to do that. <laughs> um, so you know the the very problem is going to be resolved. But it needs the very people that is the problem, you know. So, so it's a bit of a uh, it's a lovely lipstick story to say, you know, we're we, we're running the master the mainframe competition and all these kind of wonderful stories IBM come up with. But in essence, the customers aren't doing anything themselves about that big skills challenge, and I, and I think that is the the big risk. I, I suspect what one of the change areas is going to have to be in the software costs. Software costs have been obfuscated for far too long. Um, it particularly, I mean in any platform but but in the Z space you know the the, the idea that there's no such thing as a priceless and it 's really just made up based on what they think the customer can afford you know is 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 very old school and it 's not something that I think really has a place in today 's um, you know commercial world um, yeah. Yeah. transparency i I think um guys is what IBM are starting to get a lot of pressure for from customers i 've seen a lot of deals in the last five or six years where historically. Um, you know the, the enterprise license agreements and other con- contractual artifacts had had no um, transparency. You know you had a, a bottom line sort of smorgasbord board price, and and it didn't matter what you took out or put in, the numbers really never changed. And and I think that didn't give customers the flexibility or, or, or commercial flexibility, so they couldn't make decent commercial decisions about what was a valid place to put their their um their IT requirements platform wise when it yeah. came to the mainframe and and i think that's changing and i think that's just a groundswell to be frank from from lots of good procurement people trying to do the right thing by getting their their customers a better picture of what their costs actually are. And once you've got a picture of the cost, you can start to think about the value and whether TCO is good on it, TCA is bad, you know, and, and so on. Um, the, the challenge of the focus from CEOs is not going to change. You know, they, they are predominantly people who who struggle to run a fruit machine, you know, an apple. They, they don't really know what a computer is, so how would they ever get a grasp about a mainframe? And yet they're put in on the spot to give, you know, corporate-wide um, statements about about computing futures, um, they have to say things like cloud because they can understand it. They well, they they know what a cloud is. You know, they've seen them on their walk to work. So, so they get to talk about terms like a cloud and terms like a, a agility and DevOps and all these wonderful things. But actually, there's a lot of Emperor's New Clothes around that stuff. Um, I I would say the future. I just don't think it's going to change. I I think the customers that run mainframes rely on them and actually secretly quite like what they get out of it. They're going to keep putting pressure on IBM to be more transparent and they're going to keep putting pressure on IBM to to manage the costs in a different way. But I actually can't see it going anywhere.
0: Well, uh, I think it's a topic we definitely will – fascinating we'll show. come back yeah. to again for sure because it's certainly one we'd like to see will it change i we, we, we'll watch this space maybe Arvind christian might make a change there and we will definitely go back to the topic at that point paul i've been fascinated talking to you. your own your own business TSD. you're you obviously i'm assuming you're still doing well you're still doing are you still doing the same things are you doing anything different these days
2: um, not a not a huge amount of difference. Part part of the business model for quite a long time was delivering training, actually, for IBM tra- training IBMers, um, but but that model is you know we, we have a very old workforce and so they know everything already <laughs> so so i'd say that the, the training side of the business has diminished you know quite significantly in the last four or five years but at the same time the the the, the high level engineering work that we offer in terms of consultancy and, and we do offer a little bit on the um, procurement side of things as well you know not not to support um any of the vendors really just to help support the procurement departments understand the differences that that hit the Z platform and that seems to be, to be growing. Um, But also, I guess there's an element of appetite guys, you know, like I say, we're, we're all getting older, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I like to play a bit more golf and maybe work a little less,
1: you know? It's good to do. I'd, like
2: I'd like to play better golf.
1: Yeah, you do need to work on your golf. That's that's true.
2: But I'm not a dreamer. I, I, I'm more of a realist. I'd just like to play more golf. Yeah, yeah.
0: We'll get you over here for a game when when the when the when the air, the airlines are back running properly again and we can all travel. Mm. Uh, we look forward to that, Paul. Listen, great to talk to you. Fascinating topic. A lot more on this topic. Um we've kind of run out of time here, Brendan. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. We've run out of time here, Brendan. We are St- end of september the sun is still shining here in dublin
1: yeah indian summer yeah this
0: today I think by the time we meet again on this podcast it might not be so nice outside okay, a bit slightly more bleak how do you feel yeah. now I feel a lot better now actually yeah yeah. I'm
1: looking forward to the end of the week <laughs> I always told you that the podcast was good for you yeah it was it was great listening to Paul very knowledgeable very interesting so yeah, yeah no, I'm uplifted by the experience of today's there show we there we go
0: yeah. thank you Brendan thank you thank to you. all the people listening and we look forward to talking to you all in about a month's time yeah Take care, you folks bye